Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. This is the final sermon in the culture of God's kingdom. I believe that I was led to preach it because of the anxiety, the frustration, the isolation, and the depression that so many have been feeling about how troubled and how troublesome and also how fragile the culture of our world is in 2020. My desire was to bring hope to those of us who are followers of Jesus. Because the truth is, as a Jesus follower, this culture, this place, is not my home. Now, don't get me wrong. I love America. I love my life in America. I've traveled much of the world and have always been happy to return home here to live. But this is not my home. This is the truth for all Christians. This is not our home. Our home is with God because his son Jesus redeemed us to him. Our home is in God's kingdom, both the taste of it we find here and now, but also the real deal of heaven when we finally finish our journey here on earth and in America. My hope was to bring hope to each of you about the eternally lasting power of the kingdom of God, of which I and every other Christian am a citizen. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the church at Philippi. Listen to what he wrote. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. The series began in the core issue of the culture of God's kingdom, love. God's kingdom is a culture of love because, as John writes, God is love. And God so loved the world and every person in it that he came by way of his son, Jesus, to redeem it and all of its people from its self-centered and sinful ways. In week two, we discovered our part in the kingdom of love. We are to be like the fertile soil for the seed planted by the farmer. God is the farmer. His son, Jesus, is the seed of life. And we are to be receptive soil so that Jesus can grow in his fullness in our lives, fullness of character and fullness of an example for others to be receptive as well. Last Sunday, we learned that the kingdom of God is invitational, that people, all people, are to be invited into a relationship and thus have a place in God's kingdom. Just as Jesus invited the first disciples to come, and to follow him for life, to the same invitation we are to be giving today in our day so that everyone 
and I mean everyone, would have the opportunity to be included by God in the kingdom of his culture. This morning is the fourth and final sermon in this series. There are many more aspects to the culture of God's kingdom, enough to have at least doubled, maybe tripled this series, perhaps for another time. But today we conclude this series with a teaching about honor, honors of great importance and practice in God's kingdom. To help us grasp this, we once again turn to the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is seeing a vision of the end times. Moments of judgment are identified, and an impending judgment on the earth and its inhabitants is about to take place, described as destructive winds. But before the winds are released, God sends out an angel to mark those who are his servants. John has just seen 12,000 people from every tribe of Israel, 144,000 total, marked with the seal of God. Suddenly, the vision takes a quick turn, and John is given a glimpse of heaven. Listen as Greg Beers reads for us what John writes. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb, They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. They sang, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white, and where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank you, Greg. I know, some people, I know some people, and perhaps you do too, whose priority in life should be to rearrange their bedroom furniture. They always seem to get up on the wrong side of the bed. They go through each day cranky and cantankerous. They always know the latest disasters, what businesses are about to go bankrupt, whose marriages are failing, and so forth. They are like the Peanuts character, Pigpen, But instead of a cloud of dust and dirt, it's a cloud of doom and gloom. The book of Revelation, sadly, is often perceived as having the same sort of bleak perspective on life. The wrong side of the bed vision foretelling pestilence, punishment, famine, death, destruction, and so forth. It has those sections, to be sure, but it is not primarily that kind of book. Today's lesson is a prime example of the purpose of the revelation, to give hope to people, 
especially people who are living what seems a challenging and troubled life. Remember, the revelation was experienced and written by the Apostle John when he was separated from the people and the churches he loved, isolated in a cave on the remote island of Patmos. Let's consider the main points of the text that Greg read for us. First, heaven is made up of all those who honor God, that is, who worship him. It is not 144,000, which is a countable number, often used, sadly, as an includer and excluder of people. It is an uncountable number of people of every kind and from every place, and they are all doing one thing. They are honoring God. To worship God is to honor God. Heaven is a place of honor where people and angels and all other living beings honor God for who he is, what he has done, and what he's about. In the culture of God's kingdom, God is honored. A second thing we note in this text is that heaven is a place where God honors his people. He does so by meeting their needs. First of all, God honors us by meeting our physical needs. The vision from Revelation promises that when believers are gathered around God, in verse 16, never again will they thirst. God is meeting physical needs. Our bodies will be nourished, not hungry. Our bodies will be well, not sick. Our bodies will be able, not disabled. Our bodies will be energetic, not lethargic. Our bodies will be alert, not tired. Our bodies will be strong, not weak. Heaven is a place where our physical needs are met, and our role is to meet physical needs for others now, which is a foretaste of God's kingdom of honor. A second thing we note is that God honors us by meeting our spiritual needs. Filling up stomachs and banishing body aches is a good beginning, but saving the body is not enough, for it will fail to thrive unless the spirit is nourished and nurtured by faith in the one who sends his Holy Spirit. So the vision states in verse 17, he will lead them to springs of living water. This is the nourishment of the soul, the fulfillment of connection between the creator and the created, the connection between the sinner and the one who redeems. We are given what is needed not only for salvation, but also for that eternal and abundant life that has been promised. Today, we can help people find their greatest spiritual need by inviting them to know God and inspiring them to follow Jesus together with us. A third thing the text reveals about how God honors us is by meeting our emotional needs. Emotional needs are perhaps the most difficult to satisfy and certainly the most demanding when denied. Without emotional strength, even the strongest body will fail. Even the strongest spirit will falter. When we are working hard at anything, our body needs a quiet center, a sense of emotional ease to bear the physical hardships. Our spirit can soar, but only if it knows there's a safe and secure emotional scaffolding 
resting under its flight path. A prime example in the Bible of the essential need for healthy, strong emotional support is King Saul. Saul was a man of great physical strength and many personal victories. Saul was also a man of great spiritual strength. It is reported that the presence of God was upon him. But Saul had a fatal flaw. His emotional melancholy destroyed his faith, his vision, his purpose, his leadership, his will. In Revelation 7:17, the vision reveals that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I take this to mean that God will meet our emotional needs and do it in two ways. First, tears will be allowed to flow. The tears of honesty are essential. The honest realization of failure, the pain that we have caused and the pain we've experienced. Tears are the words of our heart. They must be allowed to flow. And second, God himself will dry the tears as they flow from us. As we finally come to a conclusion of words, which expresses our mind, we also come to a conclusion of tears, which expresses our heart. When the words are said releasing our thoughts, well, that's it. They've been released. When the tears have flowed releasing our emotions, they need to be wiped away. And God himself promises to do that. Here's how I think this applies for us today. God has given us a foretaste of his kingdom culture. He honors us by providing and meeting needs today. This is an earnest of God's nature. Interesting word, earnest. An earnest is a pledge. It's a promise. It's a deposit. It's a symbol of something which is to come in its fullness later. This vision given to John by God was an earnest. It is a foretaste of what is to come. The communion meal that's been given to us, which we celebrate every month, given to us by Jesus is an earnest. It's a foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven. We are meant to be an earnest of Jesus Christ, a foretaste of his grace lived out in our world. In my lifetime, Mother Teresa was a prime illustration of one who showed the grace and the love of God, a foretaste of what God wants from a human being. For my grandparents, in the first part of the 1900s, the prime example was Albert Schweitzer. It is said that he hung a lamp in front of his hospital in Africa and that it shone throughout every night as a beacon of hope and healing for the area's sick and dying and a sign hung under the lamp that said, at whatever hour you come, you will find light and hope and human kindness. The application of this can be made to this church in a question. Is this church, is Bethany Covenant Church an earnest a foretaste of Jesus Christ in our community, a light of hope and healing in his name. Church is an earnest of heaven, which is a place of honor, where people honor God and where we share how God has honored us physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and we do the same with one another. The application can be made to each of us as Christians. Am I, are you, an earnest of Jesus Christ in our life, in our home, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our workplace, a light of hope in his name. 
What a contrast this is to those who get out of bed on the wrong side every morning. A Christian is meant to be an earnest of heaven. We're to be people of honor and people who honor, who honor God. And because Jesus is growing in us, seek to meet the needs of people physically, spiritually, and emotionally in God's name. But not only are we to be an earnest of God's nature, we are also be to be an assurance of Jesus Christ. My friends, are we sure of Jesus, really? Are we an assurance of Jesus for others? Let me tell you this. It is not a stranger who waits for you and me at the end of time. It is the same Jesus who walked in Galilee and that came to me in salvation when I was 18 years old. It is the same Jesus who hung on the cross outside Jerusalem and whom I will worship in heaven. It is the same Jesus. Jesus honors and motivates us from the past as we remember how much his love cost him. Jesus honors and motivates us from the future as we look forward toward the vindication of truth and justice and love and faith. And Jesus honors and motivates us in the present through the sacrament of Holy Communion and the presence, constant presence of his Holy Spirit. It is the same Jesus, yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants us to be an assurance of who he is and how he is in the way we live our lives. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you honor us with your love, a love that has rescued and adopted us, your love that empowers us with your Holy Spirit, your, the, your love that makes a place for us in heaven, your love that makes it possible for us to become just like your son Jesus. Help us to honor and love you back in such a way that people around us will be blessed, invited, and honored by us for you to rescue and adopt them as well. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.